that's the case, um, if after step is done, you'd like to slip out and go next door to Dorothy and this talk and listen to page five, um, I don't blame you at all. I'll, I'll be hurt, but I'll get over it. So feel free to do that. Some of you are thinking, does the guy only have one talk? Yes. This is all I have on parenting, what you're going to do today, and it really has nothing to do with parenting. So we're going to talk about uh, how your personal relationship with Christ fuels uh, your parenting and the necessity of that. Um, Steph will talk about, from a wife and mother's perspective, how you protect and fight for that personal time with Christ on a daily basis. And then I'll talk about um, how you can begin the process of killing the sin that your children have exposed. Because uh, that's what they do. They expose the sin that's in your heart that you don't know about until you have Jesus. So, we'll do that. We'll take some questions here and there. Hopefully we'll have time to interact. Does anybody know when we're supposed to stop? Six at five. Six at five is when the other one starts. So. 605? Is that here? Yeah. Is the next session here? Uh, yeah, I guess the next session yeah. is then 601 or... No, it's over here. Oh, okay. Yeah. Okay. Uh, we'll get down almost an hour. All right, let's pray. Lord, we're thankful for the privilege of a relationship with you. It is, it is all we have. It's, it's all we desire, ultimately. It's out of which all good things flow. It's what we long, above all, pass on to our kids. I pray that this conversation today would help with that process. So we pray that your wisdom would prevail in this time together. And yes, this in Christ's name. Amen. That most of you really didn't know I had a wife. I do. Uh, we met on a mission trip to uh, Poland uh, several years ago. Next year, we'll celebrate 30 years of marriage. We have five children together. Steph was raised in Texas, Florida, South Carolina, Louisiana, uh, and just about anywhere throughout the South is where she grew up as one of the oldest of, of four kids herself. She, the, what she is going to share about is probably one of her greatest strengths. She has many strengths that she brings to our family and to her friendships, but um, the cultivation and the protection of her great relationship with Christ is one of her greatest strengths. And I can't think of anybody that would be better for you to hear some, some insights and suggestions about that than, uh, than Steph. So I'm going to She's real excited about public speaking too, so may surprise you to know that I actually have more public speaking experience than my husband. Even though he's been pastoring for twenty years. Because I was a school teacher. So I'm just used to talking to people smaller than you guys, a little bit younger and crisscross on the floor. God for his touch and the life of God. 
in youth, such as the lives of your children. You come as a learner, a disciple, and though you and through you, your children learn of him. God spreads through us the fragrance of the knowledge of Christ. Second Corinthians two fourteen says, For we are to God the aroma of Christ among those who are being saved and those who are perishing. To the one we are the smell of death, and to the other the fragrance of life. We aren't even conscious of it happening often. We're not supposed to be. It's a work of God through his glory. How can God pour his life through you as a parent if you're not attached to him? How can your life be a testimony to your children if you don't live in vital connection with him? How can you reveal the Father to your children if you haven't taken the time to get to know him yourself? How can you give others the Father's words if you neglect them in your own life? How can you help your children know God better if you're careless about your own time with God? Quiet time helps you stay rightly related to God so that he can make, he can make us of use unconsciously every minute that we live. And that just, I'm not here to put anybody on any kind of guilt trip. Um, most of us do that to ourselves enough. And uh, I know just personally and also through talking with friends and other people over the years, the biggest struggle I think that most Christians have is sustaining over a period of time um, time alone with God. And that's what I mean by quiet time, just kind of a chunk of time in your day that you've set aside for nothing except for the express purpose of getting to know God better. Um, and it's hard to sustain that. Well, if I'm squatting, there's a nap up here. So. <laughs> Um, so anyway, it's, it's hard to sustain that over a week, a month, a year. And I'm, I'm very aware of that personally. I have failed many times myself over the years. Um, so don't think that just by me standing up here talking about it, um, that I'm perfect and that it happens all the time. Um, but again, quiet time, when I use that term, I'm just talking about a chunk of time in your day that you've made space for to give focused attention to God. Um, just to develop your relationship with Christ, to get to know him better. That's the sole purpose of it, nothing else. Um, practice that you choose to make because you place high value on your relationship with Christ. Um, there's a, a pamphlet that I came into contact with in college. It's a little booklet, and I didn't have a copy of it to bring, but it's called The Tyranny of the Urgent. You might have heard of it. And it's just a little booklet that basically talks about how in life, often we find our time given to and consumed by things that are urgent, while other things that are really, in the big picture, they're much more important, but yet they, they don't have a deadline, they don't press on you as much, and so they just kind of get you know, let go by the wayside. And I think, you know, as a mom especially, there are a lot of things in your day that are urgent. You know, you've got children, you, you got to change diapers, you, gotta, you have to feed your family. I mean, if you don't have food for them, they're, they're going to complain. <laughs> they're not going to like that. you got to do laundry. You, there's just an endless number of things that they are. There's a degree of urgency to them. There's nothing urgent about having a quiet time. Can go all day, you can go all day, every day, that week or that month. And I mean, people might notice some of the effects of it, but no one's gonna say anything to you. It's not gonna affect anyone if you didn't have your quiet time, per se. You know, in the long haul, it will, but the effects are not immediate and, you know, real severe. So I think part of just understanding quiet time and seeking after God is just realizing that it's it's even more important, you know, than the food that you eat and just having the mindset that this is so important to me, I, I can't live without this, you know, and as a parent, I mean, I know personally, I, I just I feel very aware of my inadequacies um, and failings and just my need for God and I can't trying to, to face the kids and parent a lot of those things with just me, you know, and nothing of the, 
sufficiency and the strength and the direction that Christ provides. Um, so I think partly just having a mindset and just speak the truth to yourself, you know, this is, is of utmost importance, even though it's not, you know, urgent. And, and then with that realization in mind, just determining that you're going to structure your day around the most important thing. And I think your time with God is that's the most important thing in your day. So for you, you know, as I look at most of you, it looks like you're probably young moms. You know, I don't know when that is. It might maybe your kids don't get up early and you can if you can beat them and get up, you know, before before they do. Often that doesn't happen if you have young kids. So maybe maybe you have a nap, you know, nap time. Well don't spend their nap time, you know, getting on Facebook or doing emails or making your dinner or, you know, or whatever. If that's the only time you've got, then give it to God. Um, maybe you don't, I mean, there's times in my life when I, you know, I had three small kids, three kids under three. I mean, sometimes I couldn't really count on any time really alone. If you're a young mom, sometimes you don't have a whole lot of control over your schedule. Yeah. Um, God knows that, but whatever time you do have, period of time where I've had lots of quiet times in front of the TV with Barney because that's the only time that, you know, I could kind of tune him out, but my son would watch him, and so he would have out, and I could, I could do that. So whatever, just, you know, think through to ask God to help you, you know, really look at your schedule, talk to your husband about it. What can you do to find some space? Yeah. And if you pick space and it doesn't work out, you know, maybe they don't watch the show that day or somebody's sick or you just had a baby. You know, there's just times in the rhythm of life that things don't go exactly as you planned. The tendency, I think, is just to kind of, for me, it was just, uh, you know, it's just no matter what I do, you know, it won't work and I can't make it work. I mean, I think all, all is not lost. You know, you just offer up a prayer to God in a few minutes, you know, stating what your desire is, you know, that you really, when you're having the quiet times, you kind of refocus yourself with God to set you up, you know, to commune with him throughout the day. And so just an acknowledgement of that and ask him to make you aware of his presence and go about your day even though you didn't, you know, it's not intended to be something legalistic that, you know, if you don't have it, then the rest of the day is shot. And, you know, it isn't like that. I think you can always just come back to him, you know, and verbalize that. Um, so just, you know, it's a high priority. If you don't feel like you have that view of it, you know, just make that a matter of prayer. Like God will just help you develop that and see the importance of it, you know, the value of it treat it like that and try to arrange your day so that that whatever else you can do that try to make space so that that can happen um, I think too when you when you do have that time use it to be in the word um, I've read lots of books I've read lots of books about parenting and I have 30 of them on the shelf and most of them I've read and they're great books um, but I think there's no substitute for just being in God's word when you've had time to spend with him and if you only have especially you know as a mom a lot of times you, and you have young children you don't have that much time a lot of times that's just the reality of life and I, so I really encourage people to take the bit that you do have and make sure that you're spending time in the word and not just reading a book instructed, you know, that might be. Um, <coughs> there's also options, you know, over the years I've done different things. I've been in Bible studies, like, I've never been in BSF, there's another one called um, Community Bible Study, which is real similar. To me, the, the reason I did that was because it, I was only there one morning a week, but it provided child care, so that was great. My kids could go. And then it had, um, a schedule kind of throughout the week just getting you in the Word. 
I mean, I still had to do it, but there was accountability. I was going to be going back and sitting in my group, you know, my discussion group with people. And so it provided accountability. It provided a plan, you know, of what to do during my time with God. And so there's things like that. I remember being quite in mops, you know, different things like that that you could, um, I think they were helpful um, once you've determined that that will be a priority and needs to help you struggled with and I know is common is sometimes you, especially if you if you end up maybe having to have your flight time during nap time or something, you know, you've probably already been up for you know, eight hours. Some of you, if you've already been up, your day's going, and sometimes it's really hard to, to slow down at that point. I mean, the advantage over do it, of doing it first thing is your day's not really going yet and kind of maybe moving in slow gear, but if, you know, it doesn't have to be in the morning, you just take what time you have. So if you're you're already well into the day. I think it's hard sometimes to just kind of slow down, sort of stop your mind from all the things that might be, your thoughts might be wandering or you can't focus or things keep popping in that you need to do or when the kids get up, you know. So I read something once that just encouraged you if you felt like your mind was wandering and you found it difficult to concentrate, you know, instead of being frustrated by that and feeling guilty like, you know, what's wrong with me out here and now I can't even have a good time with God because I can't keep my thoughts focused. Um, it encouraged you just to, you know, just keep a notebook there and jot it down, you know, whatever it is, you know, call the dentist to do this, just jot it down and, and then just a, a sentence prayer, you know, Lord, help me to be able to take care of that, you know, when I'm finished here and not be focused on that. Or sometimes the things that you know, God keeps maybe bringing into your mind. Maybe that's what he wants you to deal with, you know, at that point. And so just asking for the discernment about that, you know, you just need to stop what you're doing and spend some time praying about that matter. Maybe it's something with a child or something that comes up. So you're just getting sensitive to that. Um... sometimes if I find my mind you know, just an inability to concentrate or to stay focused is just writing. I'm, I'm a big journal person. It really helps me a lot. To, um, and mostly when I write my journal, it's like prayers. You know? And so I'll just, that helps keep me awake at times and it helps keep me um, focused you know, on what I'm doing just to write it down. And so if you, if you find that it's hard for you to be focused or you find that you had a quiet time and you get up and walk away and you can't even remember what you did, you know, I mean, that's happened to all of us. It really helps to, even if it's just a few sentences, you know, just kind of crystallizing what you did. Um, I think just thinking about, you know, this seminar as parents, you're, you're here because you, you want to hear from God about what you can do to be a better parent, you know, and I think there's nothing you can do to be a better parent than to be consistent in your time with God and really follow after Him. And just, I really like the quote from that book earlier, just, you know, we want, all of us really want to be able to lead our children and to impress upon them the truths of God's Word. And it's our desire that children would choose, you know, to follow God and follow hard after God. And apart from us doing that personally, seeking time with him alone, you're just going to really be ill-equipped, I mean, to, to model that and to lead that for them. So that's my biggest encouragement to you, is if you, if you really want to model, you know, authenticity and be able to mentor your children in that, it would be to, to just make your own personal time with God the highest priority um, in your life and do whatever it takes to carve out time regularly to spend with God. And I think that would, that would serve you very well as a wife, as a parent, whatever role you're in, it will help you um, fulfill that role better. One of the things that I hope you heard
shirt spent the same, ladies, is the first block of the day you have you give to the pursuit of God. If that's early in the morning, if that's morning nap time, if that's noon nap time, if it's, if it's late at night, the difference between Steph and me is if, if it's midnight and I haven't had my time with the Lord, I'm going to catch up with him tomorrow. Steph will stay up. She'll stay up beyond that. It's just a non-negotiable for her. She pursues that. Amazing. Any of you ladies have any questions for Steph about logistics? Yeah. Um, okay, like we're going through first questions, ladies, about how to protect and carve out that time, or maybe how to spend that time, or anything like that? Nailed it? Okay, good. go to BibleGateway.com or something like that. Um, Max McLean will read the Bible to you. Personally. That's good for you. Because <laughs> you sometimes can't do that. All you have to do is ask. Yeah. Tell them the passage you're going to read. In a very skillful way. Any other questions, moms, about protecting, pursuing Christ, you say?
helps me to, to be sure to remember that and to just reflect on that. Those, those things are helpful. But the most important thing I think is don't stop doing it just because it's not, and you're not being a hypocrite if you don't feel like it. You know, sometimes people will think, well, you know, why do I have to have a set aside time instead of just do it when I feel like it? You know, it seems hypocritical. But, you know, there's some things you do in life because you know they're the right thing. You know, you do them whether you feel like they're better or not. And I think that's the, the big key. It won't stay like that. I can, I can suggest maybe some, I want to say this, transgender, cross-gender? Transgender. Cross-gender. <laughs> Uber, I don't know, cross-gender. For guys and girls. Uh, <laughs> I have a, uh, you go back it's, it's really helpful for, for me to have an ex extremely Godward thrust at the beginning of my time. So I have 35 pages of the names of God that I use every day, and I, I pick a name, usually just one name, and it's got, the reason it's so long is it's got, it's got the verse, and then it's got uh, a scripture that uses that name. And I just, use, I just use that as a way to thank God and worship Him for who He's shown Himself to be. And those are available for a small fee of nothing. If you'll just email me, I'll send you a PDF. Or if you want to improve on it, if you can, if you can read Hebrew, you can check my Hebrew for me. Uh, just email me and ask for the name of God, and I'll send it to you. And you can just either print it out, like I said, it's a bunch of pages, or you can use it on your electronic device if you use that as part of your devotions. But I, I love a direct God would prompt in my time. And honestly, journaling helps me um, not be so dry because it forces me to slow down enough to hear from God, so I have something to write about. Otherwise, my quiet times can be uh, read the verse, pray the prayer, did the time, let's get after it. And it can be things I'm checking off. It can, it can slide into something other than communion with God and become task-oriented. Journaling really forces me, writing out my prayers to God or writing a scripture that matters to me and then writing what God's showing to me about those scriptures. You can even do that name of God thing. Uh, that's a helpful tool uh, for me and for many uh, believers to really press your heart meaningfully towards God and your time towards God. So those are two little prompts that help me with dry issues. <coughs> Any other questions about that kind of stuff? Okay, uh, let me talk about uh, how we kill the sin that our kids have revealed in our hearts. This is children's role in sanctification. Before we're married... We most identified with Jesus, um, holy, godly. We got married, and then we thought, well, maybe not Jesus, but Paul. We kind of like Paul. And we had children. We're convinced that Judas was the person probably we were most like in the Bible, the sorry, low life. Because kids bring out sin patterns. Like, I didn't know I was angry until I had children. <laughs> I'm, I am serious. I had, I had no idea. Um, but when I had kids, I found out I had a big time problem and I had no idea um, but in his kindness God brought that out so in your packet there are notes for this session if you'd like to fill in blanks or they're not really blanks they're blank spaces I cannot do fill in blank that's like Chinese water for me <laughs> wait for a guy say was that what was the third R in there <laughs> um, so it says meet Morton Viv that's mortification and vivification. That's killing sin and putting on virtue. Um, and there's an outline on the front there, and then there's some sample studies that I'll show you as we walk through. So your focus now should be on week one and viv, character transformation studies. When our kids reveal sin in our lives as parents, how do we change? How do we kill sin and grow virtue? How do we stop being angry and start being patient? How do we stop stop sin, vice, and grow virtue? So in the language of Paul, it's put off, put on, is what we want to talk about. And 
the initial answer to how we become more like Christ, how do we change, is slowly. It's important to recognize that. You will change slowly. You've been perfecting your sin patterns for decades. You're not going to change them overnight. You're not going to change them in an eight or nine week Bible study where you take a fruit of the Spirit every week. I mean, those are helpful and good, and you will see some advantage. But, like I said, you've got a decade of perfecting lust. It's going to take more than a one-week Bible study on lust to kill it. Now, God may strike you with lightning, and you may, that may change. He may just kill you. So it may, that's one way so you can do it. But it's going to take time. You're going to change slowly. It is a long, intentional battle. Um, what I want to talk about today, the piece in it, is a, I call it a long, steady, strategic soaking in the scriptures. Most of us don't apply the Bible intentionally and steadily in a focused way over a long period of time. And that, I think, is a vital piece in what we might call sanctification or transformation to be like Christ. So, um, James says, uh, Perseverance must finish its work so that you may be mature and complete, not lacking anything. Perseverance in the application of the word to your specific sin pattern is absolutely vital. So, um, let me walk through uh, what looks to be a four-step process. They are not chronological. They are... Just four numbers I randomly picked out. They all kind of happen at the same time. So, uh, But the first thing that you need to do is hear from God about the condition of your soul. You have to identify what is the priority sin that you are trying to kill in your life. You have plenty. You have a plethora of sin. Which one should you kill first? You have to seek God to hear from him about the condition of your soul and what he wants you to deal with first. That takes time. Um, you need to, I would recommend a time period about the length of a football game, at a minimum, two to four hours away, away from your children, away from your uh, work, away from your studies, away from electronics, to hear from God about the condition of your soul. It takes that long for your RPMs to slow down enough for you to actually hear from God. This is why most of us, we sit down and we have our quiet times in 15 minutes, which is great. That's all we've got, 15 minutes. And we're done and we don't even know what happened. Because our RPMs are still running so incredibly fast that we haven't really had time to hear well from God. So what I'm recommending to you is a one-time experience where you go away from your normal routine. You can go to a coffee shop if you can function that way in, in the midst of people. Um, you can go to the woods, my personal favorite. Um, Duke Gardens is fabulous. Uh, but find a place where it's a, it's a conducive environment for you to slow down, be undistracted, commune with God, and you want to hear from God about the condition of your soul. Your goal is for God to identify for you What's your priority area of becoming like Christ? And it could be pride, it could be anger, it could be lust, it could be lying, it could be worry, it could be any one of a number of sins. Uh, but we want to get a green light from God about which one is priority one uh, at this season of our life. So that's the first thing that I'm going to suggest that, uh, that you do. This follows the pattern of Jesus. Luke says he often withdrew to lonely places and prayed. I want you to follow Jesus' pattern and go away and pray in a lonely place. Um, that will slow you down enough for you to hear from God about the condition of your soul. Now, I did not include it in your packet, but I do have available for the same low price as the names of God a guideline that we give to people when we're training them in how to spend extended times of prayer and solitude. It's a guide for a half day of prayer. Uh, if you'll email me and ask for that, I'll send it to you. No extra charge. How about that? 
So if that's something you're interested in, that little guide can be a good prompt for you. So you've identified a sin pattern. Let's say uh, that your sin pattern is uh, you're a big, arrogant jerk. That's your sin pattern. <laughs> uh, so pride would be the biblical category that you're going to try to figure out what God has to say about pride. That's the second thing you're going to do. Now that God has pointed to you at your pride, and by way of your children, probably, and if you're not clear on it after a half day of prayer, reflecting on the way you do with your children, ask your spouse. They will be the voice of God into your life. They'll tell you what your number one sin is for you to deal with. Uh, you've identified pride. So you are now going to kill pride, and you're going to grow its companion virtue, or its opposite virtue, which would be what? Humility. humility. So you're going after pride and humility. You're going to put off pride and put on humility. Just as a purely hypothetical example, not that any of us ever failed so what you're going to do then, you're going to become an expert in what the Bible says about pride and humility. You're going to become the go-to guy or the go-to gal at North Wake on this subject. When you're done with this, I'm, somebody's going to come to me for counseling. I'm going to say, no, 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 you need to see Dina. She is the one that really has sought God on this matter. Walk with him, study him, and see him affect her character. You want to get to that level where what you learn from God is pass onable uh, to other people in the church. And this is highly pass onable. So, you're going to go and you're going to go to some place like the easiest thing in the world is if you have access to computers, just to go to a place like Bible Gateway or if you've got Bible software. And you're going to do a search for pride and proud and prideful. And arrogant, you know, there's a little cluster of English words that mean that kind of stuff, the kind of stuff you're trying to get. You're going to find more than enough ammunition. And then you're going to do humble, humility, whatever else it might be. Meek, you might throw meek in if you wanted to. And you're going to find out the Bible has a ton to say about pride and humility. It's a big sin, and it preoccupies most of the characters in the Bible. I want to know it. And then you are going to get all those, gather those, put those all in a word doc, and you're going to start machining your way through them and asking God to speak to you through those scriptures about how it is that he intends for you to kill this sin and grow this virtue in your own soul. And you're going to go verse by verse through the entire Bible, every verse that you found that had to do with this. Now some of them you're going to go, eh, that really doesn't have anything to do with me. And you're just going to say, that's it. You're done. But the next one you might say, whoa, this is like written for me. And you're going to write a little mini journal entry about what you see in that particular scripture. An example of this would be on the next page of your handout. Uh, you see that sample study humility? This is actually a couple of pages lifted from my study on humility that I had to do because one of my sin patterns that was in the was pride. So I did the pride humility thing. This is the humility end of it. And um, you'll see, starting in Exodus 10, I pasted in there. There's a verse that says um, about Moses. If you skip down to the third one in Numbers 12, 3, it says, Now Moses was a very humble man, more humble than anyone else on the face of the earth. Being the sharp Bible student that I am, I thought, Aha, perhaps I could learn something from Moses, who was the most humble man on the face of the earth. <laughs> Well, I went to seminary and figured stuff like that out. So uh, I wrote a journal entry. I started reading about Moses, looking to figure out why was Moses, why was Moses the most humble guy on the planet? And my insights that were important for me, they're never going to be published. You don't have to read them. They're not worth your time. These are just a sample for you to figure out. So I wrote a big old, that, for me, that's a pretty big journal entry. I'm not, I'm not real verbose in writing. I only start so I, I wrote down all this stuff, and I just kept machining my way through there. And when I found a scripture that wasn't particularly relevant to me, I just deleted it, skipped over. So you can see these are the ones that matter to me as I'm working through two of I don't know how many pages. I'm, that's only through Second Chronicles. So the Bible has a ton to say about that. So if you are trying to become 
an expert in what the Bible says about your area of spiritual focus. And to do that, you're going to have to look up all these scriptures, and you're going to have to study them, and you have to reflect on your own soul. If you are in seminary, you do not have to do this in Greek or Hebrew. It does not have to be Turabian style. It will not be graded. You do not have to turn it in. Nobody cares. It's just between you and God. It needs to be highly reflective and highly devotional. Not necessarily exegetical. Only exegetical to serve those purposes. And you don't get any bonus points with God for parsing verbs in this exercise. So it's a highly reflective, highly spiritual exercise that you're going to undertake. Um, let's see what else about that second step. One of the things you're going to want to do as you go through is make sure you mark, put a little plus sign in the margin, put an asterisk, highlight them, something. The most significant scriptures you encounter. You're going to want to save those. You're going to want to memorize those. And you're probably going to compile those at the end as a list of verses you're going to meditate on for a long time so that you can really bury the sins in your life. So you're becoming an expert in what the scriptures say about your area of sin and its the third step is reflect on the condition of your soul and how these scriptures must shape you. As I said, these are not chronological steps, so you don't study the whole, everything the Bible says about your pride, and then come back three months later and say, I wonder what that has to do with me. You're doing this as you go, as I mentioned. You're just reflecting and thinking, and I cannot commend to you highly enough that you are writing down your reflections, because you will forget them if you don't write them down. You can do that electronically. I do. I journal on my computer. You can do it on pad and paper. I suppose you could dictate it these days, probably, if you have that kind of software. Like, record it somehow, because you will forget. Because you're going to be in this for a while, and that's um, really the next step, the fourth step is to sustain the application and meditation for the foreseeable future. Think about this in terms of a season. It's going to at least take you, if you started now, this is going to be your study through the fall at a minimum. If you measure these studies in months, not days or weeks, they have extended for me uh, beyond a year, where I've, I've for a year been meditating and focusing on a passage, on a portion of scripture or portions of scripture related to a particular sin. So this is going to be the centerpiece of your devotional life for a year. It doesn't mean you still can't do other things and do your read your Bible and your plan or whatever else that you're doing that's not your book to do. But this is this is going to move right to the center of what you're doing. And you're going to be communing with God about what He has spoken to you about as you read the study of the Word. So you need to stay in it. For a long time. Um, it says particularly there, sustain application and meditation for the foreseeable future. As you go, you're going to be figuring out thing, application steps. God's going to prompt you. That because you're proud, you need to serve your children in a particular way. You need to serve your spouse in a particular way. Don't wait to the end of your study to start being obedient. Obviously, as you figure that out, you start doing that. Those applications will live hopefully beyond your study. So you might study humility and pride for six months, but you will still be cleaning toilets and doing dishes nine months later, a year later, two years later. Because you're going to sustain this if you're going to kill this. Um, at the end of your study, you're going to want to kind of try to pull your thoughts together because you can see I've just got all these thoughts that I've written down as I've gone through this. So let's say this lasts for six months for you. At the end of six months, you're going to have to invest some time and discipline yourself to summarize what God taught you. Again, recommend writing this down. Not, you're not going to publish it. Maybe posthumously if you end up you know, being the world's greatest Christian or something. They'll, they'll publish it when they publish your journal. But it probably is not going to be published. But this is for two reasons. It's to help clarify and remember what God has been teaching you. Because if this is a six-month study, 
when you're done, you've already forgotten what God taught you six months ago. So you're going to try to pull it all together. And there's an example of that. The other reason is you're going to pass this on. You're going to teach your children about pride and humility. This will be the basis for it. You're going to teach um, a class at church. If you hear me do a topical sermon, it probably comes out of these lines. So it will serve you. You pass it on in discipleship and all kinds of things. But that humility summary, I've included there um, just so you could see the kind of categories that I look for when I try to summarize this. So humility was defined a couple of places. I've got that written down. You should have this uh, summary that looks like this. I've got examples of humility. People like Moses, Ahab, Josiah, the leaders of Israel, Manasseh. Daniel, Jesus, Paul, there's a bunch of different examples. There's some negative examples on the next page. These are people who are the antithesis of what you want to be like. If you're dealing with pride, guys like Belshazzar and Zedekiah. And there are a whole bunch more than this in the Bible. This is not exhaustive. This is what was meaningful for me in my study. So do your own work. Um, what fuels humility? The Bible will tip you off as to how you build virtue in your life. Watch for that. It will show you certain things and patterns. Um, how suffering and oppression fuel humility. Um, let's see what else. Um, an awareness of the consequences of pride humbles God's people from time to time. A regular um, humility is a regular companion of the fear of the Lord. Fasting. Um, he's a companion of humility a lot of times. So those are some insights that were helpful for me in that regard. The fruit of humility, why it's good to be humble, that's incentive. That's a good thing to look for as you go back through your notes. Um, there are some consequences of humility. I've got some very particular personal insights that I was reflecting on. But then you'll notice on the last page, meditation verses. That's where you go back to those little verses you asterisk or plus sign or highlight or whatever, you're going to pull those together and you're, you're probably going to memorize those, get some of them, or you're at least going to stick them on your bathroom mirror where you can reflect on them and meditate on them long after this study's over. So it's a long, sustained soaking in the Word. You study, but then you've got these key verses, you're going to keep reflecting on them. And you're going to return to this Return to these verses time and time again to meditate on them and confess your sin and, and work on this issue uh, more and more and more. So. That's the process, basically. Hear from God about the condition of your soul, what sin you're going to target. Become an expert in what the scripture says about that matter. And then meditate, reflect, soak in those scriptures. Let God change you. Obey those scriptures. Plan to do it for a long time. That's the key ingredient that Americans don't like. A long time. You cannot microwave your character. Mm -hmm. Put it in the slow cooker, let it go a long time. That's how this stuff works. Questions about this process and how you can make it work? Yes? Where does accountability fall into this process for you? Um, for me, I'm, I'm typically the guys that I'm accountability with. Um, know this is what I'm studying and they're praying for me about it. Um, usually there are specific applications that I'm supposed to be doing, so I'll share you know, those with them so they can pray for me in terms of that. So it's usually that level. Does that help? People in your small group, your buddies ought to know. I mean, if, you're, if God has spoken to you about an area of your life that needs transformation, you want their prayers. So that's an important part of it. Yeah, Jeff? I've heard you talk about this several times now. And I had never heard you talk about it in relationship to a regular time in the Word. Mm -hmm. um, are you suggesting that we kind of supplement to what we're already doing? Supplement, complement, order? Well, um, this kind of study usually takes a little more time than, a, uh, than say, Bible reading. Right. Um, so it's not always possible to do this kind of stuff on a daily basis. Maybe it is. But I would say, at a minimum, you need to be in this once a week. 
so that it's staying fresh with you. Ideally for me, uh, if I can do a good three times a week of pretty reflective meditation on the scriptures in my area of growth, then I seem to be able to uh, remember and maintain some momentum uh, in what I'm studying and praying earnestly to get it in, into my life. So I would suggest, yes, that you, if you want to do this, uh, these kinds of, of course, there's a million kinds of studies, but I, I just find that this is often lacking in people's arsenal. Uh, but yes, it'd be built into your quiet time. It doesn't have to usurp everything you're doing. You don't have to do it daily every time you open your Bible, but I do think it needs to be um, pretty central so you get continuity. Does that make sense? It does. And, and then I have a follow-up to that. Um, it, it seems as you're, as you're describing the way that it's benefited your personal time with the Lord and your relationship with Him, that it's not at all mechanical. And it, but it just seems like it seems very rote almost, the way that you're doing the same thing over and over again, you're saying from a strategical how, how do you keep it from be, becoming mechanical and keep it more on the relational end as yeah. this is about your worship of Christ? Well, um, like I said, the, the, the flow that I kind of gave you of the process, it's just that. It's, it's just a flow. All you're trying to do is the only mechanical part of the process you're really trying when you start actually doing it is the gathering of those verses. Beyond that, it's just you and Jesus reflecting on the word and trying to figure out what he's saying. And there's really nothing predictable or mechanical about that process. You don't have a set of exegetical tools that you're bringing to bear in a particular fashion uh, that's predictable. Uh, you cannot guess when he's going to really whack you upside the head about something you're going to need to sit on for a while. You may not get out of one passage for quite a while. Or so it's really a highly relational thing. So it'd be like me saying, okay, you've got to have Friday night, date night, every Friday night. Uh, for most people, that doesn't become rote, even though there's a pattern to it, because the unpredictability of it is, and it's communion and relationship, so it's personal. Okay. Yeah, in my process, um, one, I, I kind of just gave you a flyby of what I do in some samples. Yours would probably be different. That's absolutely fine. Should be different. Don't worry about duplicating my process. But I do think you need to, you need to become an expert on what the word says about your sin and your rebellion. And then you've got to soak it for a long time. Those things are pretty much non-negotiable. But you can do it any way you want. You can pick a book of the Bible that focuses on your attributes. So if it's holiness, you can study Leviticus. <laughs> Seriously. And you would sense the holiness of God profoundly. So if there's a book of the Bible that addresses a virtue, it's not always that neat a package, and that's why you have to run through these kind of topical type of studies. Systematic studies. Yeah. More comfortable for those of you who don't Any other questions? Yeah. I wish I was better at was scripture memory. Uh, I'm not strong in that. And I really, really would like to get better at that part of this process as a discipline. Uh, but they are, they're on my mirror. I have a pattern that I do. I take all those verses, put them on a 8.5 by 11 sheet. I laminate it. It goes on my mirror in a bathroom. I rotate through them from time to time. And when I have anything better to do in the bathroom, you know, I have kept comatose there. I'm just looking at some of the verses I'm trying to do. <laughs> disillusion you, but your sin will not be absolutely, finally, and forever killed when you're done with this study. You'll be better. You'll be further down the road. So, your pride's going to crop up again. Or your anger's going to crop up again. And then you go back to these then. And you start churning through them again. So, that's why it's important to have some kind of record of God's teaching for you so you can return to it, because you will have to. You have to kind of go back and take those refresher courses, you know. Stay certified. Godliness. Yeah. Other questions about how you might do this? Yeah. Would it be beneficial or is it bad idea to, when you get kind of started on this, um, to ask those around you? Like when 
Yeah, you can. Um, you know, again, I think uh, I think there's some. Uh, <laughs> some precariousness with that. You know? um, so you want to be careful about who you would ask that. I would say it'd be a good idea to hear from God first, and then some people that you trust who know you well would be a good affirmation of that you really hear from God. If you go to your spouse, you say, you know, I think my number one sin is X, and they're like, are you kidding me? <laughs> <laughs> it's like, oh, well, let me give you three other things. Let's pray with God. <laughs> so affirmation would probably be a good place for that. Because so, you want to hear from God. And hear from Him directly as best you can. Seek that affirmation from people you have to trust. Too. Other questions about how this could work for you? What shape it might take? Um, some of our small groups do this collectively, and what they do is every year they they go away and they do this process of communicating God about what their area of spiritual growth is going to be the next year, and then they share that as a group. So they work work through uh, collectively. Um, this is only a piece of your process of becoming Christ-like. This does not have, cannot replace the broad systematic reading of the Scripture. Especially if you're a young Christian, you want to make sure that you are systematically reading through the scripture so you get the big picture of the Bible and you're not just microscoping in on a few verses on a topic that's important. Um, but it's an important piece and it's an often neglected piece because we don't. Uh, it's amazing, you, you know, uh, if you have a chance to work with somebody on a sin pattern in their life and you ask them, so what do the scriptures say about your sin pattern? Usually after about two or three verses, they're done. And usually the Bible has a whole lot more to say about their sin pattern than two or three verses. You know, don't let the sun go down on your anger or something like that. Okay, and is that how you got? You got one, you got one? I'm glad you got one verse, but the Bible has a little bit more to say about anger then. And so you want to you know because you believe that the Word of God is living and active and able to pierce the division of joint and marrow and transform you. So as an act of faith in that, you learn this stuff. Really study it hard. You can, you can, um, you can condense these a little bit. Like if you wanted to say, okay, my one of my areas of growth has to do with uh, morality or impurity or something like that. So I'm going to study holiness. The Bible has a few verses about holiness. You know, you can probably pull up more hits than your computer can stand in Leviticus alone. So you may want to say, okay, I see that there's a particular book or two of the Bible or an author in the Bible who really has a lot to say about this virtue. Let's say you need to be more loving. That's huge. So you might just want to say, I'm going to just look at you know, the New Testament epistles, what they say about love. Paul and John and that. Or I might want to just focus on Leviticus. Or I might just look in the Psalms. Or what I'm doing right now, I'm trying to learn how to um, actively trust God better, exercise faith, uh, especially in the way that I pray. And so I'm going through the Gospels looking for examples of faith, great faith and miserable faith. There, I started looking for great faith, and I kept getting this OD of little faith stuff, so it kind of expanded my... Uh, so that's what I'm doing right now, but I'm just working the Gospels for a while. Because I sense this is something God wanted me to deal with, but I was not honored. So there ain't no right way as long as you get in the Word, master it as best you can, you let it master you, and you do it for a long time. Don't quit too soon before you face the change. Any questions? Anything else? Okay. If you want, uh, like I said, you can email me about the names of God. What was the other thing? Oh, yeah, yeah, the extended time prayer, the half-day prayer guide, if you want that. We do, from time to time, uh, take our interns on uh, half-day of prayer experiences. Uh, if you want to be part of one of those, you can contact me or Rob Craig. There's one, this, there's the one fall and spring we're going. We can take you along. Um, or we can set up one for your small group. You guys want to do it collectively as a small group.
Saturday morning or Saturday afternoon.